0: glory, glory. You make all things new. together body our mouth today with our hearts that we will follow you forward not only do you make us new but you continually renew that life and the nature of God that you deposited in us on that day in the garden and that we thought that man had lost it but really had set himself on a path of destruction and death but that life was still in there that life still lives within us And when you came and you died and you gave your life for us, you said that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. And so, Father, we thank you for that life that resides and resonates inside of us. That changes every system, every organ, every tissue in our body to function, to the perfection which you created it. It causes us to look better than we used to look yesterday. It causes us to run so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. It causes us to be able to take that life and that nature and that healing power of God that lives within us and extend it forth towards the world by the laying on of hands and exercise our faith and demonstrate to the world your goodness that power that lives within us. Father, we thank you for it. I'm not moved. We are not moved by what we see. We are not moved by what we feel. We're not even moved by what we think. We are only moved by what you have said and what you declare to us, both by the Word of God, which is the written Word and the spoken Word, that comes within us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You've already told us what to do with our mind. You told us to renew it. You already told us what to do with those thoughts. You said take them captive and bring them under the obedience of the Word of God. You've already told us what to do with our flesh. You said to beat it into submission to exercise, to discipline ourselves, to walk according to that which you have made us inside. The war that is within us is not between good and evil. It is between that which God has created us to be and that which our flesh still thinks that it is. Glory to God, I've never saw that before. Paul said the struggle that I struggle with is my flesh. I will to do this and I will to do that, but I don't do it. Oh, what hope is there for me, oh wretched man. And in chapter 8 in Romans, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. It is your life, it is your grace, it is your mercy that empowers us to walk this life as Jesus did and as you had originally intended us to walk, we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And now we take our Bibles and we declare with one voice, with our faith, we say, This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I choose, I make a conscious, willful decision. To allow the power of God that is greater in me to live out this word. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. And I can do what it says I can do. I am blessed, highly favored, good looking. That was good. I like that, y'all. Everybody said it this time. I'm made in His image and in His likeness. So that means I ain't ugly. Period. In Jesus' name. And now I expect I exercise my faith and I believe, oh Lord, that you will speak to me in this service, continually, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Glory to God. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we started last week. We started a new series called Welcome to Church. Well, this morning it's going to be called Welcome to New Covenant Church. And so I want you to turn there, but I want to introduce some folks Uh, to you this morning, which is ironic because we're going to be talking about building. We're going to be talking about some of these things. And so I wanted to go ahead and introduce Stand Up Cornell. This is Cornell. He is a friend of ours from uh, Valdosta, Georgia. Actually, he's been over in Guatemala with Brenton and Lori for about six months. He was a part of our home church six, seven years ago uh, when we were home church pastors, which are Connect Group pastors, eight years. I keep adding, subtracting, eight years ago. And so he's just, he's, he's really uh, got a heart for missions and he's been over in Guatemala with Brinson. Brinson got him saved and born again and all that stuff. Nom it's good to have you. And so he was a part of our home church. Well, actually we have three, actually have two, three generations of fruit of home churches. And I'm going to show them. Mr. David and Virginia Thompson, stand up. These are our second mama and daddy. Uh, we, were, we were a part of their home church. They were our home church pastors years ago. He saw me when nobody needed to see me. He knew me when nobody really needed to know me and saw me grow up into the great, mighty man of God that I am now. And, uh, no, they've been a part of our life forever, uh, and they are near and dear to our hearts. And had uh, their son and me, Seth, uh, went to Bible school together. We were roommates. Glory to God. We lived through that one. And uh, So anyway, it's good to have you guys. We bless you and honor you. Thank you. Matthew chapter 16. So don't tell me connect groups and home churches don't work, because there's three generations right there. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin there again. We're going to use it as our line. That was our text last week. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea... He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, I was meditating on that again this morning, last night, this morning. And, uh, and I begin to think about what we talked about last week about how he said upon this rock. Peter's name in the Greek is Petra, which is from the Greek word Petros, which is the same Hebrew word that they used when God uh, hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. It's the same word that, that is used as the cornerstone speaking of Jesus throughout the Bible. And so that was a chip off the old rock, if, if you want to say it that way. And so Jesus looked and he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now he wasn't just talking about Peter, although he was talking about Peter, because what's ironic about that is Peter was the first one under the new dispensation to, issue, to, to stand up and preach the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people got born again. And added to the church that day. So he was saying, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. But he was going deeper. He was saying on this revelation, the Petrus, the, the revelation that Christ is the Messiah. The one that was prophesied. The one that is coming. The one that is Redeemer. The one that the power will flow not just out of, but out from into us and into the world. So that's what we talked about last week. And I was meditating and I had eight pages of notes and all this stuff. And I'm not kidding you, this morning I was meditating. And the Lord said, I want you to focus on building for a moment. The word build. You know, a lot of words Jesus could have used. He could have said, blessed are you, Simon of Barjona. And then he changed his name. He said, you're not just Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. And so he said, but on this rock I will build. He could have said, on this rock the church will grow. He could have said, on this rock, the church will flourish. On this rock, I will cause my church to grow. He could have said a lot of things, but he used a word that is strategic. And he said, I will build. And that word in the Greek is literally construct, renew, construct, rebuild. Guess what, guys? You can't build something without a plan. You can have great services. You can have a great, wonderful church, services. You can have a lot of people coming. You can have a lot of great organizations. You can have a traveling ministry. But Jesus didn't say all that. He said, on this rock, I will build. I'm going to be strategic about what I do. There's a plan behind what I do, and I have that plan, and I'm going to show you that plan on how to build my church, and I'm going to build it through you, which is the church. He said, I'm going to build my church. See, growing in the Lord is our job. We think of growing a church. Really, I don't really say that much. I'm trying not to say that anymore. I'm trying to say build a church because God said He would build His church. Jesus said, I will build it. So Lord, if you're the builder, if you're the master builder, then all I am is just a general contractor. I'm a subcontractor of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head of the church, who is the one that is in operation over building the church. So we're just endeavoring to do what he tells us to do. How many of you have been in or work in construction? Right? There's a plan. Right? You don't just show up on the job and everybody goes, well, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Well, we need some concrete. Somebody go call the concrete guy and let's get him here. And you wait two or three days for them because they, you know, take some time to line that up. Wait, before we do that, we gotta pour the foot, we gotta build the foot, we gotta get the ground ready. You don't just show up and start building a house. There's a strategic line upon line, come on somebody, precept upon precept about the way you build the church, and Jesus showed it to us, and He demonstrated it to us how to do it. Well, we at New Covenant Church, our heart is to build the church of God. My heart is a pastor our heart as elders, as the leadership team of this church, is to build an army. And we believe that this year is the strategic year for us to do that. I believe it. Our job is to grow individually. Uh, 1 Peter 2 says, Therefore laying aside all malice, verse 1 through 3, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that who may grow? That you may grow. That you may grow. 1 Corinthians 3 said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now are you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Whose job is it to grow? It's our job. Now, whose job is it to feed? It's my job. Just my job. I got a hard job ahead of me then. We're all ministers of the gospel. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Sometimes people ask, you know, what is New Covenant? What are y'all doing? What's the heart of New Covenant? Well, I'm, I'm sharing it with you tonight, this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Our heart is to build. I love having great services. I love having the Holy Spirit uh, come and, and be a part of what we do. I, I enjoy seeing new faces and, and having new people join the church and new people join. But, but you've got to understand something. We, our heart... My heart is to grow. I mean, our heart is to build so that out of that building, people grow up into the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Actually, that word also means building for the work of the ministry. For the, actually, that word is what I'm looking for edifying. For the edifying of the body of Christ, that word is building. For the equipping and building. See, our job, my job, as, uh, uh, okay, let's say it this way New Covenant Church, and I'm going to go into detail as we go. New Covenant Church, we know and we believe, is to be an apostolic training and sending center. What does that mean? That means I'm, I'm not just interested in you being a part of this church now. I'm interested, we are interested in building and edifying and equipping you so that you can do everything God's called you to do. Now, it doesn't mean that every time we build or every time we equip you, you leave the church. (coughs) That's not what I'm saying. Because some of you will be here and you will help to build what God has called because that's where God's called you to be. But others of you will be called out. The word church... When Jesus said, I will build my church, in the the Greek is ekklesia, which means called out ones. See, each and every one of you, each and every one of us are called out ones. Well, I received the call to ministry. I remember when I received it. I remember when the Lord spoke to me, July 7th, 1996 or 5. I graduated in 94. I graduated in 94. When did we go to Beach Project? Was it 95 or 90? When was I? Was the first year it was 95, right? That was when Seth was there. 95. And on July 7th, their son prayed with me because I had doubted my salvation three times because I couldn't remember when I got born again because some religious person stood up and told me that if I couldn't remember the date and the time, I wasn't born again. You know what's interesting, Cornell and and me and April were talking about this last night. Jesus told Cornelius, he told Cornelius, he said, unless you be born again. But he told the woman at the well, oh, I got some water that you will never be thirsty again. He didn't use the same verbiage. He didn't use the same phrase. See, I grew up and just never stepped away from the Lord. My mama, you know, grew up in, we grew up in it. Uh, I just never really walked away from the Lord. And so when I got a part of this ministry, there was a heap of condemnation that came on me because I couldn't remember when I got born again. So you know what I did? We just went ahead and solved it right then and there. So July 7th, 1995, I said to the Lord, I'm not going to do this no more. And I say, whether I was or wasn't, today is the day where I decide and settle it in heaven and in hell that I will no longer listen to that mess. And I say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I will follow you forever. I didn't sing the song, but you know. <laughs> and the Lord said, I'm calling you to the ministry. Because if he had told me I'm calling you to pastor, I'd have ran as fast as I could. He said, I'm calling you to the ministry. I remember that just like it was yesterday. I remember that call. But you know what? I also remember when the Lord began to call when the Lord called me out as a young age to begin to walk according to his precepts and according to his spirit which he put inside of me. All of us have a call because we're called the church and literally we're the called out ones. All of us can do or should do the work of the ministry. So go back to Ephesians chapter 4. So my job, my principle, our principal uh, process here at New Covenant is to equip and to build. That's what we're called to do. Till we, notice he throwed the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors in, along with that, we. Till we, somebody say we. we, not you, I'm not standing up here saying, oh, the Lord has gifted me and I will teach you. No, he said that God has given us the gift to impart and to do that under his tutelage, under his leadership, so that we, sometimes I get more out of this than y'all do. <laughs> so I get excited, I don't know about you, but I'm, I get excited, till we... All come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Mm. Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. We live in a day and age where there is a lot of winds of doctrine blowing around. And you need to be careful. How do we be careful? Uh, This is what I always say. You got scripture for that? We were talking about some religions, different religions, and they believed that Jesus was a good man, but that he wasn't the son of God. To which my response would be, you got scripture for that? Well, you know, we're all going to heaven. God loves us and we're all going to heaven. You got scripture for that? Chapter and verse. Well, you know, know God's going to have mercy on us. No, He's already had mercy upon us. It's our job to accept that free gift of righteousness and step into everything that God has for us. Till we all come to the full knowledge of the Son of God, so we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. There are some sneaky, smooth-talking people out there that will try to trick you into following something that is deceptive and deceitful plotting and cunning craftiness. But speaking the truth in love, may what? Grow up into all things, into him who is the head. Now, people like love. They want you to love them. They want you to coddle them. They want us, we all want somebody to hug us and love us and tell us how great we are. But he said speaking the truth in love. Now, there are people that speak truth and they don't do it in love. That's destructive and can hurt and and wound somebody. But when you speak the truth in love, Proverbs says, uh, uh, um, he said, Faithful are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. When I was growing up uh, into the Lord, uh, I didn't always like some of the things that Mr. David Thompson would speak into my life. They hurt. But I knew he loved me, and I knew that he cared about me, so it caused me to grow up into that thing because he spoke the truth in love. I, my wife speaks truth to me. I speak truth to her, but nine times out of ten, she's speaking it to me. She speaks truth to me, and she speaks it in love, but it don't always feel good. Uh, Langston has spoke truth to me uh, once, maybe twice. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. And it didn't always feel good, but I received that I've spoke truth to some that it wasn't always, didn't always feel good. Where do we get off in our society thinking everybody's got to feel good? We're in an army. We don't have time to feel good. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan, and he is deceiver of the world, and he is endeavoring to cut you down and mow you down quicker than you can blink. And we don't have time so much to coddle and, and, and to... And when I say that, let, let, me, let, me, let me preface it by saying this. Jesus was very tender with new, with new believers. He was very tender with people who did not know uh, the word of the Lord. But those that followed him and followed him and followed him, he became sterner and sterner and sterner. Till he said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Upon this rock I will build my kingdom. I will build my church. And in verse 17, chapter 17, he turns around and he rebukes him. And says, get behind me. Satan. Because Jesus said, the time has come where I've got to give myself up. And the Bible says that Peter rebuked him. Now, first of all, let's get something straight. You know, Peter, I mean, could you imagine, he just got done, Jesus just said, blessed are you, I mean, I'm changing your name, bless God, you just, you got, not only did you get a smiley face on your test, but you got extra credit. I'm going to change your name to Peter. And so Peter's probably walking around with his chest puffed up. He's probably thinking he's, you know. I mean, listen, he said he would build a church on me. And Jesus said something, and it says that he rebuked. First of all, that's dishonoring. You don't rebuke an elder. That's what the Bible says. Not unless you want to walk away with your teeth in your head. You don't rebuke your elder. He rebuked Jesus for what he said, and Jesus turned around and rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. There's another place where uh, the, the disciples said, Father, should we call down fire from heaven and consume them all? And Jesus said, I rebuke you. You don't know what spirit you're talking from. The Son of Man didn't come to condemn, but to give His life a ransom. So we get this idea where we speak, you know, we want to speak truth as long as it feels good, sounds good, and is good. We got to get out of that. He said, speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things. The Bible says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What happens when iron sharpens iron? Butterflies are created and sugar falls on the ground. Metal against metal. What happens if you run your engine without some motor oil in it? There's a lot of friction. The truth is the friction. The love is the oil that keeps the motor going. When you share the truth in love, one with another, we build each other up. We cause each other to grow up into all things. Somebody say all things. All things that God has for us. Who is the head? Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by every Joint supplies. There is no insignificant part in the body of Christ. No insignificant part in the body of Christ. You know, God gave gifts to men, which is in Romans chapter 12. We know the Holy Spirit gave, gives gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is nine of them. But Jesus here in Ephesians 4 gives gifts to men so that we all may be built up. We may be built up. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church. One of the ways he does that is by giving us the confines and the structure and the plan for us to build. At New Covenant, we believe in building people. I mean, if we wanted to fill the church up, we could do that next Sunday. Seriously. We're going to give away a 60 inch TV. And tell me we won't have people. Okay, well, maybe not that many people would show up. But what if we, and we're, we're, we're praying about some of these things, but what if we offered free breakfast to the whole community? How many people would come then? And we're actually praying about that. We're actually meditating, praying. We, we've uh, got together with uh, some, some folks that have it on their heart, and we are praying towards that direction, not feeding the whole community yet. But reaching out and feeding some people on a Sunday morning because people are more apt to listen to what you got to say if they got some gravy and some sausage in the belly. But I mean, there's a lot of gimmicks we could use to to fill the church up. But what about building? What about Jesus said, I will build my church? There is a strategic plan. I think in terms of building. I mean, when I see somebody, I'm looking for your gift. So if I come shake your hand and love on your neck, I got my radar going. I'm trying to figure out what you are, who you are, where you fit. Because I want you to fit in. I want you, we want you to get plugged in so that your gift flourishes. Every joint supplies. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Turn there, I want you to go there. This is a good one to meditate on. Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of Of the church that Jesus was talking about. Acts chapter 2. In verse 40. Actually. Verse 42. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. In the apostles doctrine. And fellowship. In the breaking of bread. And in prayers. Now that breaking of bread. Don't think of that as communion. We're talking about. Chicken and biscuits and mashed potatoes. That's what kind of breaking bread we're talking about. And in prayer, then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There there is a thing that is called a precedent-setting event. We've talked about this usually at least once a year we've talked about this. When I talk about faith, we usually talk about precedent-setting events. This is a precedent-setting event. Uh, A precedent-setting event is an event that acts as a guide for future events of a similar kind. Okay? Okay? The church just got, I mean, the Holy Spirit came, which Jesus said to wait for. The Holy Spirit comes, which is the anointing. Mm. Jesus said, Peter said, you are the Christ, the anointed one. And he said, upon this revelation, I will build my church. The Holy Spirit, why did he say wait? Because the anointing, the one that gives the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit had not yet come. He came and he indwelt and he gave them power that they didn't have before to the same man that denied Jesus three times. It's ironic because he said, upon this rock I will build my church. He used the very man that was going to deny him three times. And one of those times, one of the gospels says that he cussed. I don't know who Jesus is. He cussed. And that same man, Jesus, said, I will build my church. You want to tell me Jesus didn't know that? Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. And he said, Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, go and restore your brother. Do you know why? Glory to God. Do you know why he said, I have prayed for you? Because he had already encountered Peter's repentant heart one time before. Peter was not a disciple yet. He knew about Jesus. This was the third time that Jesus was going to meet him. And in Matthew chapter 8, I believe, He comes up to Peter and he says, Can I borrow your boat? And he gets out on the boat. He preaches. And they'd been fishing all night. Didn't fish, didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, Cast your nets. Nets. Read it. Cast your nets. To the side. And Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. And he said, Nevertheless, at thy word. And he casted out his net. You know, partial obedience is disobedience. Come on, all of the parents. (laughs) Put a a flag right there. We're going to come right back. Just hang on. Put put a flag right there. Nets. I was listening to Francis Chan and he was talking about uh, what it means to not disciple. And he was using the illustration in Matthew where Jesus said, Matthew chapter 20, he said, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And He said, in our society, and it was, in our society we have this mentality that if we memorize it, we've done it. Right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Those two passages where Jesus ascended, those are the two things He said. Preach the gospel, make disciples. And how many of us are doing that? Because we're, we, we think if we know it and we memorize it, we're doing it. And so let, let, let me say it this way. He used an illustration. He, if I tell Hannah to go clean her room, Hannah, go clean your room. And she comes back and I say, Did you clean your room? And she says, No, but I memorized what you said. <laughs> and it, no, listen, it gets better. I've never seen it like this, and he, but this is what he said. He said, uh, and, and not only that, but I can quote it back to you. Hannah, go clean your room. I memorized it. And then he said this. He said, uh, not only that, but I can say it in Greek. Hannah, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. Did she go clean her room? She didn't do what I said. And, but, Daddy, listen. We're going to have uh, Eliana and Gio, and they're going to come over, and we're going to study what it would look like if I cleaned my room and how to clean my room. And then, not even that, then we're going to build a school called How to Clean Your Room, and we're going to have a 16-month course on what it means in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic in the dialect to, 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 to study what it looks like to actually clean your room and the different facets and how to clean your room and how to organize it. And to do all that, and when we get done, we're going to give everybody certificates that they've graduated from the "How to Clean Your Room" seminary, and never clean the room. He told Peter, he said, "Cast your nets," and he didn't. He casted his net. He did partial obedience. I don't know about you, but in my house, partial obedience didn't fly. You was either all in or your honey was all out. You understand what I'm saying? Partial obedience. No, he cast his net. And they got so many fish, they had to call the other boat and their nets in the water. And there was so many fish that the boats began to sink. And luckily, they got him up to the shore before they sank. And the Bible says that Peter saw Jesus and he hit his knees And said, I am a sinful man. I am not worthy, Lord. He already knew what kind of heart Peter had. He already knew Peter said, Lord, I repent. And Jesus said, if you follow me, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. That wasn't the first time he met Peter. That was actually the second, maybe even the third time. And Peter left everything. He went and followed Jesus. He learned his lesson. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. Immediate obedience is obedience. Hesitant obedience is disobedience. Peter already had been down that road. And he said, Lord, if that be you, bid me come. Because you told me to throw my nets in and I didn't do it. You tell me to come and I'll step out on this water and walk with you. And he did and began to sink and he picked him back up. And guess what? He shared the truth in love. He didn't say, oh, Peter, it's all right. It's okay. Listen, other than me, you're the only one that's ever walked on the water. Good job. Why not? Why didn't he say that? No, he said, where is your faith? What do you mean, Jesus, where's my faith? I mean, there ain't nobody else got out of the boat but me. Listen to me, this is, this, if it's good for me, it's, it's good. I don't know about y'all, but listen to me. He said, where's your faith? Man, didn't nobody else walk on the water. I did. What's you? Why, why are you going to talk down to me like that, Jesus? Jesus said, where's your faith? You got distracted. You took your eyes off me, and you got distracted. See, we think in our society it's okay. Well, it's all right. That's why John, that's why Barnabas and, and, and the Apostle Paul had their disagreement. Because one was wanting to coddle and the other one was wanting to say, where's your faith? See, Peter had already been down that road. He said, I, you told me to throw my nets and I didn't do it. You tell me to step on this boat and I'm going to I'm going to do it. He knew Peter and he looked at Peter in the Last Supper and he said, before the rooster crows, because he got a little too big for his breeches, He said, oh, no, no, I won't deny you. All these fools may deny you, but I won't. I'll die with you, Jesus. And they was all sitting right there. They were all sitting right there in the Last Supper. And he said, before the rooster crows, three times you will deny me. And not only did he deny him, but he got carnal and fleshy. And one verse says in one gospel, Matthew or Mark, I can't remember. It says that when Jesus was, when they were taking, the rooster crowed and they were taking Jesus away. And it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. See, this is the heart of Jesus. Now, some, some may say that he looked at Peter and said, see, I told you you were going to do it. No, that wasn't the heart of Jesus. Jesus was in the utmost pain in his life, in his body. His father was getting ready to, to, the spirit of God was getting ready to remove himself from Jesus. And Jesus looked up to heaven one more time and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the heart of Jesus. I believe when he looked at Peter, he looked at him and said, don't worry about it. I prayed for you and you're going to be all right. And what happened? He was all right. They came and they said, he, he went back to fishing and they came to him and said, Jesus is alive. And the Bible says he ran. Peter was always the one running. Ran into the tomb past the angel. I mean, the angel that was in. Ran past, I mean, just ran past everybody. Just ran into the tomb. And the angel of the Lord said, the one that you seek is not here." That's the same person. The one that denied him. The one that disobeyed him. The one that cussed at him, the one that rebuked him, is the same one he used on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got born again and were added to the church. Now, somebody ought to shout amen on that one because that means he can use you and me. If he can use a rough... He was a Jew, but because of his, because of his background and because of his, his, uh, his, uh, because of his job as a fisherman, people thought he was a Gentile. They thought he was dirty and unclean. He was a rough. He was the deadliest catch. We've talked about that. He was those guys that, you know, I mean, of course he cussed because he was a fisherman. Jesus used him and said on this rock, on this part of the rock of Jesus, on the Messiah, on the Christ, the anointing, I will build my church. And on that rock he said he would be. And he began to build with Peter. So you come over to Acts. And you see where the church is being built. And the precedent setting event becomes the early church. And what did they do? It said that they sent out email messages and Twitter and Facebook to everyone to come here, the anointed preacher, and there was going to be signs and wonders following. No, it doesn't say that. It says that they did meet together, but they also broke bread together. They also fellowshiped together. They had gladness in the heart and simplicity. We can get in such a hurry to save the world for Jesus that we miss the very aspect of what Jesus demonstrated to us while he was on the world. Now listen to me. We at New Covenant believe in relationship. I believe in relationship so much that, that I want to pour my life into a handful of people. and that's every time I'm, every time I'm walking, every time I'm uh, come in contact with people, I'm always thinking, okay, who can meet with that person? Who, what can God do? How can we orchestrate this meeting together? That's the way I'm, that's the way I, I, I think. That's the way I was impacted in my life. That's just the nature of what comes out of me is I'm trying to think. I don't think programs. We don't think programs. When we get together as elders and we begin to pray and we begin to start talking about what different things we can do, we always come back to, Father, who do you have and what are the gifts and how can we activate those gifts? That's what we want to do. If we never have... Okay, so over the course of the next few months, over this year, we're going to be praying and setting in certain people that have their giftings. If, if Trisha Muse and a bunch of other women had not got together and had a burning desire for the women, guess what? We wouldn't have a women's ministry. Because I don't, last time I checked, I wasn't a woman. I'm not called to do the women's ministry. You are. I'm not called to be the men's minister. I'm not called to do some of these things. Our heart, our goal is to look in your heart and look in your life and see what makes you tick and pull that out of it. See, but this man wants to go overseas more. So I would be doing him a disservice if I shackled him down in this place and tried to fit and fix him because, you know, after all, shackles. Take these sheets off. Well, how's it go? Off my feet so I can dance, you know? Just want to pray? Anyway, my heart is to see that gift come out of Him. That's the apostolic nature that we function here at New Covenant Church. Our goal is to not say, okay, this year we're going to do five programs and we need volunteers. No. I want to find five people and find their gifting and find their calling and then pull that gifting out and then anoint you and gift you and pray over you and send you out with flying colors and balloons and confetti and say, go get them for Jesus. That's what we want to do. That's what we are doing and that's what we're going to continue to do. That's our heart. To build something. I want to see you grow. I want to see us grow. Let me say us. I want to see us grow into the fullness and the full stature of all that God has for us. Apostolic simply means building. That's all it means. For the purpose of equipping and sending. This means that we're interested in you and building you. I can't tell you how many times I've met with somebody and and I've said this and sometimes it shocks them. Uh, I, I sat down with Haley. I sat down with Jackie when he first got here. I sat down with Haley. I've sat down with different people, and I've looked them in the eye and I said, "I don't care about your gift. I care about you. Your gift is going to be there. Your gift will function in country music, in rock music, and up on that stage leading people to Jesus. Your gift will function, but it will never function to the level that it needs to function until you're doing it for Jesus." Amen. You, see all, you hear all these songs and they just seem like glory to God. Man, them folks can sing and play. That's nothing compared to what it would be if they just got sold out for Jesus. Your gifts are with you. They're like luggage. They're going to stay with you. But you, on the other hand, we're interested in you. We're interested in your gifting. you can play and sing you can have all kind of organizational skills you can have all the gifts in the world but at the end of the day I'm still concerned and I want to see Miss Geneva continue to step into everything that God has for her I mean it's great that she's a connect group leader I mean it's wonderful that she's teaching these women how to roar like a lioness and swing that sword I mean that's wonderful that's great But if that's not in her heart, maybe her heart is something different. I want to see her heart come out. I want to see her step into every... I want to see each and every one of you step into the plan that God has for your life, whether it be here or Guatemala or Africa. Where's Morris? Morris already said... Or India. Morris wants to go to... Is going to India? Glory to God. That's what we want to see. Well, I have a heart for... You know, whistling for Jesus. Well, okay. Well, let's pray about it and see where that may fit in. I mean, it may not fit in right now today, but it doesn't mean it won't fit in in the future. You know, I want to start a school called Fixing Cars for Jesus. You know, whatever it may be. L- listen, that's what we want to see. What makes you tick? What is it that God has put in your heart? Now, I'm going to close with this. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah. Chapter 1, we are interested in you. We are building you. Yeah, you know, we'll build, we're going to build and, and, and we've got to have organization. We've got to do all that stuff, but it doesn't mean nothing. I had somebody very wise once tell me, said, if you will build people, they will become the church. It's not my job. Listen to me. It is not my job to build the church. That's Jesus' job. My job is to build you. My job is to equip you. My job is to encourage you. Our job as the leadership of this church is to encourage you, is to encourage one another, is to sharpen one another. That's our job. The building is up to him. And when he comes down and said, okay, here's phase one of New Covenant Church building 2015. Yes, sir. That's what we do. And the Lord said, I want you to do a men's ministry. I want you to pray. That's what he said. He told us to do connect groups last year. Connect groups. Uh, I want you to build the men of this church and I want you to pray. That's it. Well, guess what? It, I mean, I, I'm all for the trim on the crown molding and the sinks and all the lights and the, put the TV up on the wall and mount it. That's good, but that don't mean nothing. You don't have walls to put a TV on. It don't make no difference. So what are we building? What are right now we're focused on the footers Actually, we're not even on the footers. We've laid the foundation. Now we're putting the walls up. And the walls is the, is, the, is, the, is the men, the women, the prayer, and the connect groups, and relationship. Listen, this church, churches can get to 5,000 people strong. But if you keep the core and the heart of what you... And I said this to somebody the other day, and I'm going to say it because I've never said it before. But I said, I can't know everybody. You can't know everybody. But everybody can know somebody. I can't be in relationship. You can't be in relationship with every single person in this church, but every single person in this church can be in a relationship with somebody else. Relational. I mean, I can't say it enough. Yeah, I know sometimes I don't have all the fireworks, the smoke coming up off the stage and the lights. I mean, that's great. We have all that. We just need people to do it. I mean, that's good. We want that. We desire that. But if you don't have the substance, all that is just smoke and mirrors. Because guess what? When, when you have trouble in your marriage or you have problems in your finances or your body's hurting, the smoke and the lights ain't going to do nothing for you. You need Jesus. And guess what? You need relationships. I mean, all that goes away. I mean, that's good to have icing on the cake and all that stuff, and that's good. We want to have a good time, and that's exciting, and that's a part, but that's not the only part. The meat, Paul said in another place, he said, you have need for milk. You can't even handle meat when you should be able to handle meat, but you can't handle meat right now. Why? Because they weren't in relationship. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse... Four. Then the word of the Lord. Now here, listen to me. Listen to me good. This is the scripture for you good looking. You ready? One of them. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Well, Pastor Lawrence, that's talking about Jeremiah. I'm not Jeremiah. Well, go to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. Listen to me. The Bible is God speaking to us. Now, not everything can be specified directly speaking to you. But that's one of those verses that you can because Proverbs says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship created, mind you, in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every single one of you in this building this morning, God knew you before you were made. He knew you before your parents got together. You were not an accident. You were not a disappointment. He created you with a purpose and with a destiny, and with a skill set and a gift set. Every one of you are gifted. Every one of us are gifted. And the minute you grab a hold of that and say, I'm special. Does that mean that nobody else is special? No. You know what was interesting to me is, you know, we quote John who said he referenced himself as the disciple the Lord loved. But you know when Jesus would reference to the disciples... He would always say, my father or your father. He never said, our father. Look it up. The only time he said, our father, was when he said, I want you to pray like this. And he was demonstrating to them, don't call him the father, call him our father. But he never said in the company of his disciples, our father. He always said, your father who is in heaven or my father. I only do those things which my Father tells me to do. If they receive you, they receive me, and they receive my Father. He didn't even say our Father. Why did He never say our Father? Because nobody can know that for yourself but you. Jesus could not know that. Jesus hammered and beat it into him. Your Father, your Father, your Father. He can't say it for you. He's got a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29, 11. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created for a purpose and for a destiny. And the heart of this church is to find out what that purpose is and to bring it out and to make it shine it up and to fix it up according to the plan that God's downloaded to equip you and send you out with bells and whistles on, backing you with the full weight of this church and heaven, so that you and I can do what God has called us to do in this nation, in this city, and in this world. But nobody can know that but you. Our system, our heart, the mechanism, if you will, that we have set in place in this body, in this church, in the leadership of this church is to not stifle creativity but to let it loose. I don't mean we're just going to let anybody and everybody do anything and everything they want to do. No, then we're not talking about that. We're talking about a godly ordered system where, where we, we function in line with God's word but that we believe in Ephesians 4 that if it's you... I say we, if it's us, that is to do the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 said. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, for the equipping of the saints, for the building up, so that they can do the work of the ministry. Then it would behoove me to find out what makes you tick. It would behoove us to find because nothing more. I mean, uh, Haley, how long have you been singing and on on a praise and worship team or leading praise and worship? How many years? Since she was 14. So you're 21? 22? She's getting older. Eight years. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, you do anything for eight years, you can get burnt out. Not if you're in your gifting. Not if you're doing what you love. I mean, you can hate your job, but you're still doing what you love. You just find a different job doing what you love. It's your gifting. It's, God created you with something in your heart. And sometimes you get aggravated when you see the stuff. You know I get aggravated sometimes at things. And I had a wise man say one time, "The thing that aggravates you or makes you angry is probably something that God has caused, called you and gifted you and equipped you to fix." <laughs> man, I just can't, ooh, that just gets on my skin when blah blah, blah 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 blah. That's probably something you're called to fix. I just can't stand all the lights. They, you know, the lights are on, or this is on. I, it would be better if, if they would have the lights do this and that. Chances are, you probably are gifted to help do that. Well, you know, that. It's just, I just don't understand why, you know, why, the, you know what, you, you, why does the pastor not have a water? I mean, the man ought to have a water when he's preaching glory to God. Jerome saw a need and feels that need. I don't even think about it. And here's the water. And guess what? When Jerome's not here, nine times out of ten, Miss Carol's bringing some water. But if Jerome and Miss Carol is not here, your pastor is parched. (laughs) You feel a need. You see a need. Fix it. Fix it. Ask the Lord how to fix it. Your gifting is the most, you, you, you as an individual is the most important thing to me as a pastor. But, but you following the plan of God for your life is, is the most important thing to me. If this church never gets to the size that it used to be or needs to be, but we send out people and they're functioning in their giftedness, I'll be the happiest Minister, pastor, on the face of this earth. You know why? Because in Jesus' ministry, at the end of His ministry, when Jesus could draw the largest crowds, when He could send somebody and say, tell them we're coming, and they go tell them we're coming, and, and they fill up the auditorium, because by that time everybody had heard about the ministry of Jesus. At the end of his ministry, when he could draw the largest crowds, he could Twitter and Facebook the most, and thousands of people would come, and they could take up an offering and impact the king and they could do at the at the time when he was the most popular. Do you know what Jesus did? He spent more time with those 12 men in his last days of ministry because he knew that was the legacy that he was going to live. He knew that when I'm, when I'm gone, I want to leave you with something so that you can shake the world. Because it's needful that I leave. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I leave and I've taught you and I've poured into you, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, watch out world. And that's where we are today. As a result of Jesus pouring into 12 men. Stand with me. Well, sure. What's your heart? What's in your heart? We know it's something there. Jesus never, I mean, God doesn't make something. He said, I formed you in your womb. I knew you and gifted you and called you. He's already gifted you and already called you before you were even born. Before you were even born. Well, I just don't know what I'm called to do. Uh, I I live, I live to worship you. That's what we're called to do. You worship Jesus. And out of that heart, uh, out of that uh, worship and adoration to the Lord, He begins to to pull out and to shine a light on the things that are in your heart to do. I'm going to shine a flashlight. If you get to know me and you get close enough you know, you spend enough time around here. I'm gonna take a flashlight and I'm gonna. What are those little laser pointers? Remember when those first came out? We'd sit in the movie theater and we'd do like that. You know, when they first came out, it's the coolest thing. I'm gonna take that laser pointer and I'm gonna point it because I want you to see what's in your heart. I want you to know what's in your heart. I want to show you the truth and and help you develop that gift so that you can go do what God's called you to do. That's what I desire. That's what men have done to me that have poured into my life. And so just by nature of them doing that to me, that's what I, that's the only thing I know to do. That's what Jesus did. Constantly doing that, constantly pouring into those men, constantly pulling, sending them out. Get out there and do something. Go, come on, do something. Let me, let me close with this. Let me say this. That's our heart. That's what our goal. That's what our vision is. Our vision is to change, impact, and activate. Change the world through servanthood evangelism. That's what Matthew says. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Impact through relational discipleship. That's what Mark says. Go into all the world and make disciples. And activate. For the equipping of the saints to do the work. That's our heart. Change, impact, and activate. That's the vision of what we're called to do. And over the course of the next few months, over the next year, this year, we're going to put that vision right up there on that wall. Where every time you walk through this building, you see what the vision in the heart of this church is. And we're going to start activating even more this year. Activating you into the gifts and the callings that God's called you to do. Whatever that may be. Whatever area it may be. Guys, listen, we don't have no time to waste. It's time. It's time for the church. It's time for this church to start taking it out there again, out of those four walls. And it starts with you and me. It starts with the sphere of influence that you have and you utilizing your gift. Do you know why we overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb? Well, that's easy because the blood of the Lamb washes us away, makes us pure, gives us the ability to stand before God as if sin never existed. That's what the blood of Jesus did. But what does your testimony do? Do you want me to tell you how to get somebody born again? Real easy. Do you want me to tell you how to share the gospel with somebody? Hey, Inez, what makes you different? Well, let me tell you my testimony. Your testimony is the most powerful thing that you have because it's about what God did for you. It's not some three point preachy sermon road to salvation. Dude, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. I mean, I was just lost. And I was trying to do everything I could. And I was doing this. But then one day Jesus came in. And I mean it just revolutionized. And now this and And before you know it, it's contagious. And people are infected by your testimony. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have a testimony. That's how you share the gospel. That's how you get people into the kingdom. And if you don't know how to do that. Or if you're a little nervous doing that. Then just say, dude, come to church and come visit our church. And come here, come here, our preacher. Sometimes he's crazy, sometimes he's not. Whatever it may be, get him. You get him here. We'll help him. We've got plenty of people able to speak and the truth and to share and to love on people. That's what it's about. It's about building people. It's about going out and preaching the gospel. It's about discipleship. And that's what our heart is. But all that comes through relationship. People are tired. The world is tired of mechanical Christianity. There's people that have left because they don't understand the nature of how we relate to people. They don't understand that. It doesn't look like normal stuff. It doesn't look like normal church. I'm not interested in normal church. I'm interested in the church. And the church met from house to house. They broke bread together. They prayed together. And they met together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we are your church. We are your called out ones that have been set and anointed and called to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. So, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that you not only called us, but you equipped us and gave us everything we need and the power and the tools to do everything, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you give us. So we vow to do that. We vow to step out and to begin to do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray for each and every person here. That you would reveal to them by the Holy Spirit the gift that you have placed in their life. That you would enlighten them into that gifting. That you would spark a fire into that gifting. That you would let us be able to see their gifting in a greater way. That you would open the doors and open the resources to be able to strategically put people in their gift set and in their giftedness. So that they'll be doing what God's called them to do. Every joint supplies. And Father, we thank you that we are the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can we sing the chorus of that real quick? To worship you, I live. Let's just close with this. Let's just sing this to the Lord. Hallelujah.
1: God, I just thank you today, Father, for releasing our pastor to give a very, very powerful word of what the heart of New Covenant Church is. Now, we have a choice now of whether we want to receive this word and be the things that all God has called us to be during this time and this season. If you recall, our lives are just a vapor. God brought us here. We are not here today by mistake. If you walked into this building today, you're not here by mistake. God has called you for a purpose and a destiny. It's time to wake up. The clock is ticking for you to step in. As pastor said, every joint supplies. It is time for you to get up and to be that particular joint. I don't care if it's a joint in the shoulder or a joint in the foot. It's time for you to step up into place so that God can function in this church and begin to use the body of Christ to do what he is called to do for this time and this season. So, Father, I just pray a blessing over the members of this church. I, I just pray that they don't forget what they've heard today and walk away. I pray that they will open up the Word of God because the Word of God brings life. I pray that you'll want to be active in this church and that you will call and sit down and meet with the leadership of the pastor of the church and say, where do I fit? Because I want to be a part of this church during this season. What is my gifting? Teach me. I want to be activated. I want discipleship. You know, the world is so lost and so carnal. And now this is a time for us to truly, truly rise up. So I ask that the Lord put a blessing on you as you walk out of these doors, that your mind, your spirit, your heart, your emotions do not forget what you've heard today. Let it simmer in you. And when you step through these doors, let there be an active, vibrant, loving God that comes out of you. Your next encounter, let you see it differently. Hopefully you have not walked into this church, and hopefully you will not leave the same way that you've come. Leave with greater power, greater hunger, greater seeking of of his knowledge and his wisdom, Father. We thank you for revelation. So church, look around you. Look at every opportunity to reach out for those and say, what does God have for me to give to them? And be that thing. They are looking for it. You may be that it to a dying generation. So I bless you as you go in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.